Uh, We are back in the book of Revelation this morning. We are back in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19. And I am a little relieved that we have made it to this point because we have been going through some some pretty heavy stuff for the last couple of months. It's been some pretty intense stuff as we begin to look at things that are going to transpire uh, as the end draws near. But we have finished up most of the most of the tough stuff and we're getting to some of the good stuff now we've been uh, covering a chapter a week for the last several weeks but we're probably going to slow that down a little bit over these next few chapters Uh, some of you may be here and you may have not been here for the last uh, few months we've been in revelation for probably eight months now i guess if you want to go back and catch up and kind of hear what we've talked about to this point you can find those sermons online at intotheharvest.church And almost all of them are there except for the first few. So if you want to go back and catch up on some of the things that you may hear mentioned today uh, that you won't really be too sure about, you can. I won't uh, recap the whole book of Revelation because we would be here all day, but those are available to you if you want to check them out. So we are going to be in Revelation chapter 19 this morning, and we're going to cover, Lord willing, just the first 10 verses, the first 10 verses of Revelation chapter 19. We will pray, and then we will dig in. We'll go through the text just a verse or two at a time. So let's pray. God, I come to you this morning. I thank you for uh, this privilege that we can come into your house, that we can worship you. And I pray that these uh, verses that we will read today, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us what we need to hear, that you would remove any nerves that I may have, God, any pride that I may have, that I would humble myself before you this morning, that I would listen to you to speak, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just take control and speak through me this morning, God, that it would be the words that I need to hear, that these people need to hear, dear Lord God. And so we thank you for this happy ending to this book, dear Lord, for those who are in Christ. Today we're kind of just scratching the surface of, of the glory that is to come when your son Jesus Christ returns. And God, I pray that if there is one in this room that does not know Jesus Christ, that they would hear these words today and that your Holy Spirit will convict them that they are a sinner in need of a Savior and that no one would leave this building today without knowing Jesus Christ so that we can all share in the victory when the time comes. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We had finished up in the last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. Uh, We uh, were introduced to this new character uh, that Revelation referred to as Babylon the Great, also as the great prostitute. And we have talked about in great detail over the last few months that uh, Revelation is a highly symbolic book. Not that everything in there is symbolic. There are some things that are literal. But there are many parts of the book of Revelation that are very symbolic. This Babylon the Great is more than likely based on my interpretation of the text. And again, we've looked at many different views. But this Babylon the Great in my interpretation of the text, is going to be a probably a great nation during the end times. It is going to be a great nation that is going to rise in prominence and power. It is going to be a proud nation. It is going to be a wealthy nation. It is going to be well respected by all other nations. We have seen that in the last couple of chapters. This Babylon the Great is going to be uh, this mighty power. But what we also saw in the last couple of chapters is that this mighty power that was so wealthy, uh, that had uh, so much pride and so much power, it fell almost instantaneously, and the rest of the world watched in sadness and in awe. How in the world... 
could this have happened? How could Babylon the Great have fallen? And that's what we uh, looked at last week. And that was kind of a, a build-up all the way to the end of uh, the... Um, Things that we've seen previously to this point in the book of Revelation. That was a build-up. We've seen the battle of Armageddon. We've seen these years of tribulation. We've seen God's uh, judgment being poured out upon an unrepentant people. We have seen God's wrath being poured out upon those who refuse to acknowledge that He is Lord, who refuse to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is His Son, and we begin to see God's wrath poured out a little more gradually until it had gotten really intense. And then we came to this Babylon the Great, and this kind of wraps up the end of God's destruction and God's judgment and God's wrath on this world as we know it. And so today we are shifting gears. We are shifting gears from God pouring out judgment to a time where God is about to reign, where Jesus Christ is about to return and he is going to reign on this earth. Now we still got that pesky old dragon that Revelation talks about. That is Satan. We're still going to deal with him a little bit uh, in the next couple of chapters. But what we are looking at today is much change of pace from what we looked at last week. Revelation chapter 19 verse 1. This is after the destruction of Babylon, after Babylon the Great's fall. After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of his slaves that was on her hands. Now this is a time of rejoicing for God's people because we have seen previously on through the book of Revelation that there were people in Revelation chapter 6 and they were asking God, when will you avenge our death? When will you bring justice to those who have done us wrong? And they were given some white robes to wear and they were told to wait just a little longer. And they have waited all throughout the book of Revelation, everything we've covered from chapter 6 to chapter 18. Those group of Christians who had given their life, uh, who had stood up and who had lived for Jesus Christ, who had asked for that vengeance, who had asked for that justice, finally the time has come that justice is served. Where God, who is judging righteously, we saw that a couple of weeks ago, God is a righteous judge, and a righteous judge has to deal with evil. He can't just turn a blind eye to it. He can't just turn his head and say, well, those people did some really bad things. I'm just going to let them go. God had given every possible opportunity throughout the book of Revelation. We have seen that many, many times. That God gave people the opportunity to, to repent. And the Bible says that they refused to repent. And as the judgment and the wrath picked up, God gave them an opportunity to repent. And they refused to repent. And now, after time, after time, after time of God being patient, judgment and wrath have come upon the people. And justice is now served. And there is great rejoicing in heaven. There is a vast multitude. We have seen these vast multitudes all throughout the book of Revelation. We have seen these vast multitudes that John has seen in these visions that Jesus Christ has revealed to him. 
And here these vast multitudes are. These are the children of God. These are the ones who have accepted Jesus Christ. These are the ones who are in heaven in a perfect place that have been spared from God's wrath, that have now escaped any wrath that the devil could bring upon them, and they are now with their Father in heaven. They are now with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and there is a great rejoicing. Hallelujah! That word means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The time has come where God's judgment and God's plan has been fulfilled, and there will no longer be any, any evil or sin. And we're going to see that begin to unfold in the next couple chapters as that is fully realized by the end of the book and the devil is fully done away with. But that is beginning to start right here. God's plan is beginning to be wrapped up. And so we have these people who are praising the Lord because he has done what he promised he would do. Verse 3. A second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. Again, more praise because this Babylon the Great, we saw that she was destroyed in the verses last week and the week before as we looked at her and then her smoke would ascend forever and ever. That is a uh, symbolic of a great destruction. And here we have more praise that Babylon the Great has fallen. Praise the Lord. Verse 4. Then the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Now, twenty-four elders, four living creatures, I'm not going to hash that out who those are. We talked about that earlier on in the book. But when we first were introduced to these twenty-four elders that are continually around the throne. We were introduced to these four creatures that were continually giving praise to God. And when we were first introduced to them in the book of Revelation, they were around the throne praising the Lord. And here we are some 15 chapters later, and what are they doing? They're still there praising the Lord. That gives us a preview of what heaven is going to be like. Because for all of eternity, we will be there among the 24 elders and among the four living creatures. Those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ will be there with them and we will be around the throne and we will be giving our praise to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He is worthy of our praise because He has given His life for us. Now some of you may be like me. Now, my mind tends to wonder, and I, I sometimes I begin to think about forever. And that will, boy, that will mess your mind up. You start thinking about forever because that goes for a long time. And sometimes I think, I'm, and I'm a preacher now, and sometimes I think, man, are we ever going to get tired of worshiping Jesus, wonder? I mean, forever and ever? And then out there I think about it for a second, I think, no, nah, we're not. Because we can't even begin to comprehend the glory that will be there when we stand before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can, in our best that we can try to think, our best that we can try to imagine how wonderful and how great that will be. And when we stand before our Lord and Savior, I believe with all my heart that that is going to trump any imagination that we could ever have about what's going to be there. It is going to be a glorious and a wonderful thing. And not only the things that we can relate to, like sin's going to be gone, we're not going to have to be sick anymore, worry about cancer, worry about lying, cheating, stealing, worrying about getting angry with people. Sure, that's going to be gone. That in and of itself is going to make it a great place. But there at the center of everything is going to be God. And there with Him is going to be Jesus Christ. 
And so there is going to be reason to praise, and we see that all throughout the book of Revelation. We don't want to lose focus that this is a book about Jesus Christ. It is a book that he is coming back and that he is going to be victorious. And then when that day comes that he is victorious, that those of us who have put our trust in him, we will share in that victory. The Bible says that we will be overcomers. And this is what we have to look forward to, seeing our Lord and Savior and praising Him for what He has done. Just like the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Verse 5, A voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all His slaves who fear Him, both small and great. It is a, a, a universal call to all who have accepted Jesus Christ to praise Him. It doesn't matter if you're small. It doesn't matter if you're great. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. What we see throughout Scripture and throughout the book of Revelation is that God has not picked favorites, so to speak, but God has offered salvation to everyone who would accept it if you come to Jesus Christ. And heaven is going to be filled with people of all races, of all sizes, of all uh, um, um, Wealth, whether rich or whether poor, heaven is a place. And the one thing that will unite us in heaven is Jesus Christ. It is not our size. It is not our wealth. It is not what we have accumulated on this earth. It is nothing else except for Jesus Christ. It's not the color of our skin. It's not where we live. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And we were reminded of that all throughout Scripture. We were reminded of that out here. That all who are in heaven are called to praise the Lord. No matter who you are, praise the Lord. It is going to be an amazing time of praise. And not just for a little while, but for all of eternity. Let's read a little further. Verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude. Like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. So here we see that God's reign is taking place. We see that that has finally happened. We were uh, kind of alluded to that several points throughout the book of Revelation. But there was always this, and then the end came, but then there was always something else. And then it would say, and then the end would come, and then there was always something else. And it was always letting us know that, all right, the end is drawing ever so close. And now as we get to Revelation chapter 19, we see that God's reign is beginning. That God's judgment has been poured out on an unrepentant world. That there is praise in heaven going up to the Lord. And that God's reign is beginning at this point. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His wife has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. So here we have a good illustration that we see on several occasions throughout Scripture. And we are, we, we are told of this illustration many times throughout Scripture. And that is that Jesus Christ is the groom. And that those of us who are in Jesus Christ, that is Christians, those who have accepted Him, we are the bride. And we are waiting for that great day when Jesus Christ will come that wedding day and He will be united with us, His bride. And we should be, as Christians, we should be preparing ourselves for that day so that we can be a bride who is ready for that wonderful day when it comes. 
And I think it's great that God uses marriage as the illustration. I think it's great that God gives us as humans, he gives us the privilege to be married, to call each other husband and wife. That is great. I've only been married for a couple years. It is a fantastic thing. It is a blessing from the Lord. Some of you have been married much longer than me, and you can attest to that, that it is a blessing from the Lord. And so we see from our own worldly interactions uh, that we have for our own spouses how much we love them, how much we care for them, how much we should desire for their well-being. And imagine that a hundredfold for what Jesus Christ thinks about us how Jesus feels about us. Now look, when we have weddings, now I don't know about you guys, but I have been to and seen some unbelievable weddings in this in this world. I mean, when people are having a wedding, it seems like people just they're just go crazy all of a sudden. You begin to rent out these big places and there are decorations that you just can't even b- begin to understand. And all of a sudden, cha-ching, 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 the money starts going out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've had kids and, and they want this and they want that and it's a big day. It's their wedding. Your little, your little girl's getting married or your son's getting married and you want it to be a super special day. Why? Because it is a super special day. That's a special thing that God allows us to come together as husband and wife. And so when we get ready for a wedding on this earth, Usually we spare no expense. We have to have these big monstrosity of just fruit trays that that come down and are so beautiful with any fruit you can imagine and a table full of all the foods that you can imagine. And we send out invitations galore, hundreds upon hundreds to friends that live in states or different countries saying, come to this wonderful event. We are having this awesome celebration. And then you have the groom, and he's trying to get pretty as good as men can, and it's hard for us, and we do the best we can, and we get our hair cut, and we get our tucks just right, and we maybe go to the gym a few times, do a few sit-ups, because we want to look good for our special day. And then women begin this going to look for the dress. There's a show that Michelle watched sometimes called Say Yes to the Dress. And here come these women, and they go into these bridal shops, and it's the bride and the mother and the sister and the auntie and the, and the cousins and everybody and the mother-in-law and they're all there and this and, and the bride is just looking I mean through thousands of dresses it just blows my mind man I, don't, I wouldn't even know where to start and these women they have just exactly what they want and they want to look just perfect they want everything to be just so because they want to look so beautiful for their husband on that wedding day And they try on dress after dress after dress after dress. And you know they find the right one because eventually they come out of that dressing room, one of them, and all you see is tears. You see this? Every every woman that they brought with them, they got their hands over their face and tears running down their eyes, and you know that that's the one. And that's good. That's a good thing. And then the wedding day comes and all those decorations are looking beautiful. Everything is set up. All your friends from all over the world have come. You have got a feast that is fit for a king. And all of a sudden that music plays. Dun, 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 and the doors open. And there before the groom is a beautiful bride that he has been waiting for. And she has prepared herself for this moment. And why do we do that? Because it's special. And we get that. We get that that is a special thing. And do you know that that is what God says it's going to be like when we meet our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when He comes before us and we come before Him, that we should be ready for that, Christian. 
And if we can spend hours and hours and thousands upon thousands of dollars to make sure that we're pretty enough for a worldly wedding, how much more so should we be doing that in a spiritual sense? How much more so should we be examining our lives? How much more so should we be saying, am I ready? Because my husband is coming. My king of kings and Lord is lords is coming for me. And he's coming soon. And I want to be ready when that day comes. Because I want to be there at that feast with him. I want to be there at that feast that will trump any feast that we will ever have on this world. We need to be ready for that day. And that's a wonderful illustration that God gives us and reminds us of as we begin to prepare. And that should also help us to examine our own marriages at home, our worldly marriages. We should make sure that we are living biblically as husband and wife. We should look at this illustration and know that, look, God chose this powerful thing for a reason, and we need to make sure as husbands and wives that we are doing what the Bible calls us to do. And so that's a big responsibility for both the wife and the husband. Now the Bible says, wives submit to your husband. The Bible also says that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, some of you men are out there saying amen, and some of you women are saying, oh, no, he didn't. I'm just telling you what God's Word says. And I know in this day and age, in this culture we live in, that it is not cool to say, woman, you need to submit to your husband. And I know people that would say, well, submit don't really mean submit. Well, I hate to break it to you. Read your Bible. Submit really does mean to submit. It means that your husband is the head of the household, and you should do what he says. And I know I can feel the tension right now. If, if looks could kill, I would be dead. But listen, listen. Before you women say, oh my, too much, and before you men amen me too much, you listen. The Bible calls his wives to be a good and submissive wife and follow your husband's lead. And for you husband out there, for you husbands, you need to look to the example of Jesus Christ. Because to be the head of your wife, to be the head of your household, is not something that is to be used for your own personal gain. It is not something that you can hold over your wife when you lay in your recliner and say, hey, bring me something to drink. Hey, bring me the remote. I want something to eat. You get in there and eat. It is not something that we should use for our own good. But as husbands, we should give everything that we have for the good of our wives because that is what Jesus Christ did for us. For those who are Christians, Jesus Christ gave everything He had for us who are His bride so that we could be taken care of. And as Christians, we willingly come and we worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and we serve Him. Why? Because He forces us to? Absolutely not. But because He gave everything that He had for us and we desire to serve Him. Now that's an example of marriage. And for you men who may be using your authority over your wife in the wrong way, you better take heed. And for your wives who are not submitting to your husband, you'll have to answer to God for not being a good wife. And you husbands will have to answer to God for not being a good husband. And that kind of stings a little bit. We don't like to hear that kind of stuff. It's God's Word. We need to hear it. 
God didn't call me to be a motivational speaker, although I wish he would have. That'd be a lot easier. Sometimes God's word gives us the tough stuff. And so as men, we have to be willing to give everything that we have for our wife because the Bible tells us in Philippians that even though Jesus was on the same level of God, he didn't use his power and position for his own good. That's a paraphrase. Go back and read it for yourself. If you're a husband and you're using your authority over your wife for your own good, you need to go back and study about Jesus just a little more because you've missed the point. How many times throughout Jesus' ministry do you see him say, I am the King of kings, Lord of lords. You do what I want to do for my good. You don't see it. What you see is a man in his ministry who gives everything he has for your good and for my good. So much so that he gave his life on a cross. And he is our groom, and we are his bride. And the day is coming, Revelation 19 tells us, that Jesus Christ is going to come back for his bride. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared for that day when it comes. And we need to be good husbands and good wives while we're on this earth. Verse 9. Then he said to me, that's an angel speaking here, write those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb, excuse me, write, those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb are fortunate. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Now listen to this next part right here. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have the testimony about Jesus. Worship God because the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So in the midst of all this excitement, now John, an apostle of Jesus Christ, John had seen vision after vision up until this point. John knew God's word. John had even seen uh, Jesus in these visions. John knew exactly who he was. And in the midst of this excitement, all that John was seeing, all that was taking place, is the angel was sharing this good news with him. John fell at his feet and began to worship the angel. And the angel said, don't do that. I am a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have the testimony about Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we are not deceived. Even John himself here, he was not deceived by the angel. He got caught up in the emotion and he began to worship one that he should not worship. And we as Christians need to make sure that we don't fall in to that same trap. That we are not found guilty giving worship to one who is not worthy of our worship. And the only one who is worthy of our worship is Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough. And so if we find that we are offering any kind of worship or praise to anyone other than Jesus Christ, we need to watch out and we need to listen to the words of the angel here. Don't do that. We need to remember that we are a slave of Jesus Christ. And if we are a slave of Jesus Christ, then He is our master. And we have only one master who is worthy of our worship, and that is Jesus Christ. And we need to take heed and we need to not forget that. We need to not forget that it is the testimony of Jesus Christ that saves us. It is through the blood of the Lamb and the word of His testimony 
that we are overcomers. Jesus is enough. And we don't need to be deceived by what the world will tell us. The world will tell us that we need a little more than Jesus. That we need to be a little better on our own. But listen, I don't want you to be deceived. And you say, why is he on this again? He just talked about this a couple weeks ago. I'm telling you because I don't want you to be deceived. Because I see in our world today, I see the grasp that the devil has. I see how the devil has worked his way into what appears to be so many good things, but that are not of God. Things that are strictly of Satan. Things that have just an element of truth that seem good, but as you begin to dig in a little further, you realize these things are not of God. These are things that are keeping our attention away from Jesus Christ. These are things that will tell us, you don't even need Jesus. Jesus is enough. Jesus is good, but you need more than Jesus. Do not be deceived. God has placed that on my heart in a mighty way. And while it's sometimes tough as a preacher to preach hard sermons... We look back to Ezekiel chapter 33 where God tells Ezekiel, look, I have given you a warning to give to the people and if you don't give the people a warning, then I'm going to take it out on you. And if God has put you here in this place today, perhaps God is speaking to you, trying to give you a warning. Do not be deceived by the tactics of the devil. Jesus Christ is enough. Because the angel says here, that he is a fellow slave with John and the other Christians. And he points out that it is their testimony about Jesus Christ that has saved them. Do you have a testimony about Jesus Christ this morning? And by that I mean have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Now look, maybe some of you have gotten off track. Maybe some of you have been told some lies of the devil. I want to set the record straight for what God's Word says. God's Word says that Jesus is enough. God's Word said that Jesus Christ died on a cross and shed His blood so that you could be forgiven. God's Word says that Jesus paid it all. God's Word says that you can never be good enough to accept God. Now, there are many people, there are many groups that will put the burden of your sinfulness on you, telling you you need to live a little better, you need to give a little more. Jesus lived good enough for all of us because He lived perfect, and He gave enough for all of us because He gave His life. So do not be deceived by the lies of the world. The world will tell you that all roads lead to the same place. You worship any God you want, you do anything you want, it don't matter. We go around the mountain, we all get to the top at the same spot. That is a lie of the devil. The only way we get to the top of the mountain where Jesus Christ is is through Jesus Christ. All roads do not lead to the same place. The Jesus Christ's road leads to heaven. Every other road leads to hell. Do not be deceived by the lies of the devil. Don't be deceived, church. You say, I wish he'd quit saying that. God wants us to hear it. God wants us to hear it. Jesus is enough. Another lie you might hear. Jesus doesn't love you because you've been too bad, because you've committed some of the bad sins. You can fill in the blank of what you think the bad sins are. That's a lie. Jesus does love you because He knew what you were going to do. He knew the sin that you were going to commit when He died on the cross. And guess what? He still died for you. Praise the Lord. 
The devil will tell you there's no such thing as God. Jesus is never coming back. You've been hearing that for years. That is a lie. Jesus is coming back. I can't tell you when it's going to be. I don't have a clue. But I can tell you this. You need to be ready. Because if you're not part of the bride of Christ, you're not going to be at the marriage feast. And if you're not at the marriage feast, you're going to be separated from God in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're going to be there for all eternity with the devil himself, the father of lies, the one who has deceived you. And I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to give in to these lies of the devil. I don't want you to give in to what the world will tell you. I want you to listen to what God's Word tells you. And God's Word tells you that Jesus loves you. God's Word tells you that Jesus gave His life so that you could accept Him and you could be forgiven. And that's enough. That's what gives us favor before God. It's not your works. It's not your money. It's not how good you look. It's not how many times you come to church. It's are you covered by the blood of the Lamb. But you have to make that decision. Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning and I thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the good news of of the victory that you are going to win. The hallelujahs that are going to be sung in that day when you are victorious, when your righteous judgment reigns. And God, we thank you that we can be your bride. We thank you for sending the groom, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. And God, I pray that you would help us to be ready, dear Lord, that you would help us to prepare ourselves spiritually, that we would see the areas in our life that we need to change, that we need to come to you for forgiveness, and that we need to seek repentance. And dear Lord God, that we would do that. I pray that if there is one in this room, that right now they're they're realizing they've never accepted Jesus Christ, and they're not even really sure, God, what to do or what that means. God, I pray that you would be with them right now, that they would seek you. God, that they would know that this is all you need to do. That they need to pray to you. That they need to ask Jesus Christ to come into their heart. To be their Lord and Savior. That they need to ask for His blood to cover their sins. To free them. To wash them as white as snow. God, that they need to acknowledge that they have made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And God, that they would follow through with baptism as your word commands, dear Lord. God, you don't place any burden on us. God, you placed all the burden on your son. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking that burden for us. And so, God, I pray that if there is one in this room that has not accepted Jesus Christ, that as we have this time of invitation, that you would speak to their heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.